The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Trusts him or herself to those facts, to that Christ crucified on that cross to pay for sin, that person can know, I am a Christian. I am a son. I am, I am a child. I'm a daughter of this one true God. It's a marvelous thing there in verses 11, 12, and 13. That's the gospel. Look at that on Christmas Eve. And now here this morning, so that was 11, 12, and 13, 19, 20, 21. This morning I'm catching the verses in between to fill in the gap that we've skipped. 13 through 18. But I have another purpose other than just completeness. I want to preach on these verses here this morning so as to to draw out of them the idea of prayer. And here at the end of the year, I'm going to preach on prayer this week, and then next week, Pastor Jed's going to preach on the Word. And we're doing that on purpose to, at the end of this year and the beginning of the next year, turn our minds towards these two critical elements that God uses to grow people, individual people and, and a church, prayer and Scripture. So we want to kind of put a couple things out there in front of the congregation again just to remind us and to help us think about it and maybe be drawn back to, renewed in our commitment to prayer and Scripture. So that's what we're going to preach about these next two weeks. And I have prayer this morning from 1 John five thirteen to 18. I do not pretend that this is going to be an exhaustive sermon on prayer. Whole books are written on the subject, of course. But I do want to look at these verses, and, and really I have one really big point to pull out of them. It's going to come out in my, my second point that I developed this morning. One thing that if a Christian will grasp this, it can, by the grace of God, it can stir and motivate you in your prayer life. One piece of the whole subject of prayer rises out of this passage this morning, which we'll, we'll come to a little bit later. But let me summarize the whole sermon this morning with this statement. It's what I'm working towards this morning, my main point. Prayer is God's wonderful means of involving us in His desired work. It's it's wonderful. It's His wonderful means for involving us Christians, for involving you if you're a Christian, in His work. You really have a part to play in His work. He's doing marvelous, vast, wide things in the lives of individuals in this room and across the globe. And you, as a little old human being, have a part to play in that. That's a marvelous thing, that God has ordained a means for you to be involved in great, big, eternal things. That's what we're going to look at this morning, to 1 John five thirteen to 18. So let me read the passage, and then I will unpack it in three distinct points. First John 5, 
13 to 18. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. 1 John 5, 13-18. We begin with an observation about a, a wonderful privilege here, a permitted endeavor. Christians can pray to God boldly. I, I say that, and I think that some of us probably say, well, sure, of course. Stop. Christians can pray to God boldly. And so you should pray to God. I'm talking about God. Oh, you're belaboring a point here. No, 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 no. You don't, you don't, I don't think you get it. I'm talking about God. And you, if you're a Christian, can pray to Him boldly. Verse 13 reminds us, the audience is talking to are Christians here. That, that's who the, the referent is for we and us all throughout these verses here. He's talking to Christians, and he says that I write this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. He's talking to Christians. You can know that you are saved. This is the gospel. You belong to Him. You are His child. And then the very next point, here's the point that he moves to immediately next, and this is the confidence that we have. You who are like that, who believe and therefore know this is the truth, you can Pray, verse 14. This is the confidence that we Christians have towards Him. Confidence. It's a word about boldness, about audacity. It's a word that's used sometimes to describe how Christians would witness to this gospel before like the Jewish authorities or Roman authorities. It's often used to describe how people who are lowly and nothings behave boldly and confidently before those of higher rank like a governor. This is a Christian who comes in and says in many contexts, I'm a nobody, my Lord, governor, king. I'm a nobody. You are powerful. But here's what I have to say. And lays it out boldly, confidently. That's our attitude. That's a privilege given to a Christian 
to speak with that kind of forthright audacity before God. That's the confidence we have. It says towards Him. Standing, as it were, in the throne room of the Almighty. Before God Himself. And you stand there confident. Not just confident that you can stand there and not be judged, and not just confident that, my, thank goodness, my sins are forgiven and I'm going to live forever. This is about prayer. Confidence in praying that if we ask anything according to His will, we'll come back to that according to His will a little bit later, that if we ask, He hears us. Verse 15, And we know that if He hears us, Whatever it is that we ask, we have it. This hearing of God is is equivalent to granting. It is not a hearing of consideration. I will grant you a hearing, I will hear what you have to say, and I will ponder it. it. There's no room in this verse for him hearing and saying no. We know that if he hears us, we have what we asked, and we know that if we ask, he hears us. We ask, this is a this is a remarkable confidence. We ask, we get. We ask, he hears, he gives. And to underline a little bit more, the, the grammar is, is a right now emphasis, not sometime way down there. We ask now, he hears now, and he gives now. It may take some time to, to work it all out, but he grants the yes now. This is God and little old you. Who are you? You're, you're nothing. Nothing. But the Almighty One says, come stand before me and and, and ask me, lay it out, and I will give it immediately. That is remarkable. We are talking about an incredible privilege here. Thankfully, with an important qualifier attached. And I say thankfully... Because we would not want it to be otherwise. If we ask anything according to His will, there's the qualifier, according to His will, there is an obvious logical need to qualify this tremendous, bold offer here. And it's that way throughout all the Scripture. Jesus often taught, ask anything in My name. That's His way of saying, according to My will. If my word remains in you and you remain in me, ask anything. That's his way of saying, if you're walking with me, ask. Jesus himself modeled in the garden when he prayed, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. There's an important logical qualifier there that we can't make ourselves to be God by I ask and I make my will done on earth as it is in heaven. It's logical, but it's also a grace to us because it stops us from getting everything that we might foolishly think we want. And it stops us from being victimized by what other people foolishly think they want. God, over this bold proposition, how it is that we proceed in prayer beneath this, if it's according to my will, qualify. I'm going to come back to that, so put that marker down there and I'll pick it up later. But for now, the point here at the beginning is for us to marvel at a tremendous privilege one for us in the gospel. 
prayer. It's not just something we Christians do. It is a golden opportunity. A privilege. One for you. Christ, at the cross, Christ certainly, in dying for your sin, Christian, He certainly removes off of you the wrath and the penalty of God. And certainly that creates fellowship with, between you and Him in every conceivable way. But particularly this morning, consider what He's won for you in the Gospel is the ability to walk up to God and talk to the Almighty One and speak to Him as if face to face and make requests of Him and have Him say, Yes! Of course! Right now! Amazing! What a privilege! But you all know, you all know, you all know. And I have to say that, that I look at my own life and I know it about my own life too, but I look at us, people that I know, us as a church, Christians in general, the reality is that I'm pressing and pressing and pressing and pressing and, and speaking with, with emphatic tone and we all know our prayer lives don't match anything like that. Yeah, I, I get it. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. And I do pray, and I know, if you're a Christian, I, I know that you pray. What I'm talking about is, is degree here. I don't know everybody here. I don't know your private lives, of course. But I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say none of us pray with this kind of consistent, confident boldness that is one for us and desired for us by God in the gospel. Now, you've probably at times prayed like this, but consistently across the board? Not me. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, not any of us. There's a, a disappointing reality we don't pray anything like that. So ask yourself, would you describe your or your family's or our church's prayer patterns as closely or even approximately resembling confidence towards Him, asking and receiving? consistently, I'm not talking about three years ago in that one crisis situation, consistently. And often the answer is going to be no. So why? A few reasons, I think. One, the worst, which I'm only going to brush by here this morning, but the worst is that it just reveals something in our hearts that we don't actually think that we deeply need Him. We don't consistently, passionately, confidently pray. Sometimes, because what that reveals is that I've managed to make life work just by myself. Thank you. I'll come back in a crisis, but I don't need that right now. Maybe there's something to repent of there. 
But another reason, I think, and perhaps a reason that we'll touch on a little more here this morning, our tendency towards prayer is sometimes weighed down by hesitancy and confusion because prayer can seem rather random. Sometimes I pray and sometimes I don't and sometimes things happen and sometimes things don't. And it's kind of hard to figure out what happened because of prayer and what didn't. And what, what is uniquely important about prayer. And furthermore, that last thing that I did earnestly and boldly and confidently pray about went this way instead. It doesn't take too long to have the legs of prayer cut out. If, if, you're, if you're laying down and crying out and asking for and seeking, and this is what happens, the, the total opposite, it seems very disheartening and confusing. Realize this. All of that, all, all the confusion and all the uncertainty... That was familiar to John, too, who wrote this. Remember Acts chapter 12. Acts 12, story about how King Herod was persecuting the early church. And it says there at the beginning of that chapter that he put to death with the sword James, brother of John. That's brother of this John. The Apostle James, brother of this John. Put him to death and then arrested Peter. And it says the church prayed fervently for Peter. Well, they prayed fervently for James also. We, we see throughout the book of Acts that they always were a fervently praying church, consistently being persecuted, consistently praying. And you can bet that John prayed for his brother who was in prison. And John probably asked the Lord to spare James's life, and John heard the answer, no, as James was killed. And yet, he writes this. And this is the confidence that we have before God. That if we ask according to His will, He hears. And if He hears, He says yes. John's experience with prayer that worked out contrary to how he wanted it did did not did not undercut his desire to teach us to pray confidently and consistently and fervently, nor did it undercut his own prayer life. He joined in immediately with, with Peter right, right next, two, two verses later in chapter 12, to pray for Peter earnestly. What does John know that we don't know when we, in our confusion and in our disappointment with things going differently, cease to pray? What's, what's John know? That gets me to the second point and the main thing that I want to get across this morning. So the first point is that we need to consider the great privilege that has been provided to us. The opportunity to come and confidently, boldly talk to God. But we don't do that and I think it's because we don't understand fully the second point. So here it is. Prayer works and matters because it is God's ordained means 
to his good ends. Let me say that again. And I want to be really clear about this because I think this is, this is as I said, the thing I want to communicate and I think it's the, the element that when we remember it will fuel prayer in our lives. Prayer works and matters because it is God's ordained means to His good ends. When I say prayer works, I mean that prayer brings about things that otherwise would not come about. That may seem obvious. Prayer brings about things that otherwise would not come about. It actualizes something. It brings a result. You, Christian, you pray and something happens. And if you don't pray, it doesn't happen. Prayer works, which of course then means that it matters. Obviously, if it works if you do it and it doesn't happen if you don't do it, then it matters if you pray or not. It's important. It's a means to an end, the way of getting to a goal. We, we need to have this concept extremely clear before I move and show it in the text. I want to make sure that I'm explaining this clearly, that this is means and end are very clear. So let me give an example. Adam, Eve, and Jesus prove that God is not bound of necessity to bring humans into the world by the normal coming together of male and female. Adam, Eve, and Jesus prove that God is not bound to bring humans into the world by male-female union. Okay? But 10 billion other people prove that He usually does. So if you ask, what is God's means, ordained means, to the end of bringing human beings into the world, the answer is, Male-female union of some sort or another, in some way or another. That's the way He has ordained, I will bring about my desired end of person X, Y, and Z. Right? It's the God-ordained means to reach that end. If God wills for there to be a child. Because the Lord is the one who opens the womb and shuts the womb. That is sometimes very difficult and very painful for us. When we wish for a child and one does not come through the means of male-female union. It all sits beneath if it is the will of God ordained means, and there will be no child apart from that means. This means is necessary. It works. 
it matters if I'm going to reach this end. If I'm going to find life created, this is the means. Follow that in the example. Is that clear? Because that's how prayer works. Take the same fact from that example and move it into prayer. Look at this passage, verse 18. Here is a God-desired end stated for us. Here's what God wants. Verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God, that's a Christian, been born again of God, we know that every Christian does not keep on sinning. Which of course does not mean that Christians don't sin. It means that Christians do not walk in the path of continuing on in sin like the non-Christian does. We know that every Christian does not keep on in the path of sinning, but he who was born of God, Christ, protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. Here is the preservation of the saints. Here is God saying every Christian does not walk this path and does not fall away into destructive final sin because the Son, Christ, protects him and keeps him away from all the attacks that will surely come, all the temptations and all the lures, be they subtle or violent, the evil one will be after my people, but he will fail because the Son will keep them. God's sure end. What's the means to that end? Put the page back to 16 and 17. And as an aside, he talks here about this sin leading to death, and in the context of the book, he almost certainly means the spirit of Antichrist that he's mentioned several times throughout the book. People who were in the church seeming to be Christians, but now are against Christ and teaching against Him and actively rejecting Him, willfully rejecting Him. What John seems to be saying here is that their judgment, God's verdict on them is clear. And I'm not talking about them. Don't get distracted in my argument here thinking I'm talking about those Antichrist people. I'm talking about somebody else. Verse 16, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, so not that kind, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I don't say to pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin. I'm talking about the kind that does not lead to death. If you see a brother or a sister in the church in sin... Pray. And literally, the grammar in verse 16, He will ask and He will give. Many of our English translations put in God. God's not actually in the verse. He will ask and He will give. That's you. You will ask and you will give life. Now, is it really you? No, actually... Verse 18, it's the one who was born of God who protects him. Means 
to an end. The end is that Christ will keep all of His people and keep them from falling destructively into sin. And the means to get that, if you see one like that, pray and you will give Him life because Christ will give Him life. Your prayer matters. Your prayer is the means to that end of verse 18. The God-willed end of preserving every single one of His saints comes about when you see a saint in sin and ask God protect him. He says, absolutely, that's my will. Means to an end. Prayer, your prayer, it works and it matters. Because that's how God designed the world. He could have perhaps done it some other way. But he didn't. He did it this way. Why? Well, I don't presume to know everything about the mind of God, but I can think of some things. Why? Think of what happens when, when 16 and 17, our praying works and matters such that 18, Christ intervenes and protects, holds back the evil one and carries his people on to eternal salvation. Think what happens there. Who gets the glory in that? Christ. He's the one who did it. And I noticed it because I asked Him and watched Him do it. So He gains the praise from me. How would it be different if what 16 said was, if you see one in sin, teach him the truth and give him life. Now, biblically, there's nothing wrong with that either. Teach him the truth. To explain, to help. Absolutely. That's not what this verse says. This verse says, pray. Ask Christ to step into this one's life and protect. That will surely turn my eyes towards Christ as I'm asking and praying. And then when it happens, it will turn my praise towards Christ and not towards me. Surely that's one reason that God designed it like this. Perhaps another reason is that it's going to grow my intimacy with God as I commune with Him over these people that I see in trouble. Perhaps there are other reasons. But what's clear is that this is how He designed the world. Means lead to His desired ends. Right here in prayer. It's the same thing that goes on in evangelism. God has foreknown from forever past and elect a people. God knows there's, there's no mystery in God's mind as to who's actually going to end up in heaven. I have no idea. be interesting to find out. No, that's not what's going on. He knows. The Bible's term for that is, is the elect. And yet Paul says in 2 Timothy, I endure everything for the sake of the elect so that they too may obtain salvation in Christ Jesus. Because think of Romans 10. How are they going to be saved if they don't believe? And how are they going to believe if they don't hear the gospel? And how are they going to hear the gospel if nobody says it to them? And how is somebody going to say it to them if nobody's sent? Means, 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 means to the end of a person being saved. Witnessing works and matters. 
prayer works and matters. Male-female union works and matters. It is the means towards God's good ends. Stop and think about that. I can remember, and I realize that when I'm forgetting this, my prayer life wanes, I can remember the first time this actually sat on me, and I spent probably an hour sitting under a tree on the campus at Colorado State University thinking about this. It really matters. I'm sitting under a tree just thinking. So if I don't pray, things won't happen. Huh. And if I do pray, things will happen. Well, what kinds of things? The things that I want to happen? My will? No, 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 thank goodness. God's will will happen when and if I pray. I should pray. You should pray. God's will will come into this world and be enacted if you pray. It works and it matters. You are, you are given, by the gospel, you are given a great privilege that is incredibly important. There's the two points here. Privilege that is incredibly important. This is my main point. That is incredibly important. Things don't happen if you don't pray. And they do happen if you do. Pray. Not because you're supposed to, and because of what Christians do. Pray because you want to see God's will come into this world and run in the lives of people you know, lives of people you love, in your own life. Pray. Please. It matters. It is the means to His end. I think, certainly I notice this in my own life, I think that this is an important intellectual piece that drives prayer. And I think this presses against the disheartening discouragement that comes when we pray and don't know what's going on and feel like, I went this way, I prayed this way and it went that way, and what's the point? To realize prayer is God's means by which He brings about His good will in this world. There are things He will do when you pray. To intellectually get that, for me, boosts my prayer and adds urgency and desire to it. And a a, a sweetness to it. I'm actually engaged with God in His work. 
marvelous. How all the world works, it's how prayer works. So, we would do the third point then. How should I then engage with prayer? Pray, here's my third point. Pray confidently, inquisitively, and thankfully. So this third point brings me back around to attitude. Pray confidently, inquisitively, and thankfully. The first point, confidently, obviously is looping back to the first couple verses. I can go into the presence of God and actually ask Him things and know He will enact His will in this world through my praying. I want to talk to Him. I want to ask Him. I want to pray. I will give life to the one I prayed for. He'll hear me and He'll give it. And I will be the one through whom life came. I gave life. Or to change the context, I will bring about, think about this for a second, I will bring about a successful surgery. I will bring about a healed marriage. I will bring about the deliverance of my brother James from the sword. Oh, that didn't happen. Hmm. I guess it doesn't work after all. I better give up. No. No. Instead of being frustrated or confused or disheartened by different outcomes than what we'd hoped for or desired, all because it's all rooted in according to my will. There's that important qualifier that sits over everything. According to my will. Instead of being put off by that, I should embrace it with confidence, knowing that it's a repeated word in verse 15. I know that He hears and I know that He gives it. Knowing that my prayer works and matters in that it brings in what God wants and not what I want. And if I find myself miffed by that or put off by that or giving up by that, I just found that I actually worship my own will. I just found that I actually worship my own will and not His will. That's something to repent of, not be disappointed over. If it's disappointing to you that prayer only works for His will, you just found your God. Yourself. I should not be disappointed that prayer does not enact my will. I should be thankful for it because my will is very often wrong. And so is yours. I'm thankful that your prayer does not enact your will. And you should be thankful vice versa. I should not be disappointed when prayer doesn't work. Instead, I should pray confidently and inquisitively because I should come to circumstances like this where I'm, I'm seeing my brother in jail or I'm looking at the surgery, I'm looking at the, at the marriage, and I don't know if it's God's will to heal this marriage or bring about a successful surgery or spare my brother. I don't know that. But inquisitively, what do I know about the will of God? What of God's will can be known in this situation or circumstance, I'm inquiring and thinking. 
I'm thinking and praying and opening up my Bible to find out what can I know about God's will in this circumstance. I, I don't know how the surgery should go according to the will of God. But I, there's some things that I can know about God's will. What is your will, God? And I begin to think. I don't really know which outcome would be best, but I know how you decide best. I'm still thinking. God decides best based on what? You're still thinking? God decides best based on what will be long-term good for His people, which means, you're still thinking, will reveal the glory of Christ and the goodness of God to His people in the fullest, widest, longest way will magnify the supreme beauty of Jesus and will advance His kingdom in the most possible, broadest, deepest way. That's what God defines as good. And so every circumstance, I now remember, things are coming to my mind as I'm thinking, I now remember that in every circumstance that ever happens anywhere on the earth, God is at work to advance. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And He will give me my daily bread, if, how, and when, to match those first three requests. He will protect me from temptation and keep back the evil one to match the first three requests. That's what God defines as good. That's what he'll do in this situation. Maybe that be a successful or unsuccessful surgery. That I don't know. Now, it could very well be that he means to bring about a successful surgery by you asking, so pray that too. Absolutely. It may be that it is his will to bring this surgery to a good and desirable end in the, in the eyes of the parents, in the eyes of the child, in the eyes of the relative. Ask him. But over that you have to put if it's your will because I don't know. But I can pray, glorify Christ in that situation, advance your kingdom in that situation, cause these people to see Jesus and to become worshipers more deeply and widely of Him. I can and must pray that. And to that He will hear it and grant it. Confidently I can pray for that. And must. And must pray for that. And should. And should. Because that's the advancing of the kingdom off your lips, out of your hands, you involved in it. What more could you want to be a part of? But the work of God in this world to advance His name, you can be a part of that. He invites you in and says, Ask me. Ask me. Pray. And you will notice this also, that as you pray inquisitively, what happens in all that is not just that those people out there that you're praying for grow and see Christ and have His kingdom come in their lives. You do too. Because as you start to think, all that as I was describing there, all that thinking, thinking, thinking that you're doing as you're working through what is good, what would be God's desire, what is best, you are finding your own heart and mind becoming more aligned with what God actually values. And letting go of all the things of the world that are good gifts from Him, but not supreme. As your heart gets lined up, Lord, this is my, this is my request for this surgery for my loved one. 
but your will be done. Would you glorify Christ? That's sanctification in your own life. God's will done in your praying. So you pray confidently and inquisitively and thankfully. Because as you watch all this run, as you see God move, advancing His kingdom, hallowing His name, thankfulness should rise up in you as you, as you see, I gave life to people. Circumstances will certainly change too. Absolutely. He, he does. He does change circumstances. Pray for them. As you see that happen, you, thankfulness will rise in you. But lastly, be particularly careful to be thankful for no when that comes. That no is actually one of the best hidden comforts of that chain in 14 and 15 about that confidence and asking. The no, when it comes, if I ask according to His will, I know, K-N-O-W, I know that He hears and knows that He get, know that He gives. So if I got an answer N-O, what can I know then? That it was not according to His will. And what do you know about His will for you? It's always right. It's always good. It's always best. So be thankful for no, because you just found there, oh, there was a mistake on my part that He forbid me from walking into. Thank God. He cares far more about your good than He does about what you want. So He says no sometimes so as to bring about His will in your life. It's something to be thankful for. Very confidently and inquisitively and thankfully taking up prayer, God's wonderful means of involving us in His work. There's a privilege there. And may we take it up in this coming year to be a praying people as a group and individually. Let me pray. Father, I sense, as I stand here and pray, I sense the inadequacy of my own words to describe this subject. I know there are many loose ends. There are many aspects of prayer that are not even touched upon, let alone developed. All that remains. So I ask you, Lord, to, to cover that, to fill in the necessary gaps. 
But I, I do want to ask you to take what was central to this message and press it into us as a church and as a people. That prayer matters. That it works and that it matters because you've ordained it. It's the way you bring about your will, which is always good. So cause your people here in this place to stop and think about that. To stop and think about that. And confirm in them their importance in your work. You are not bound to work through people, but you have chosen to do so. And therefore, people are important. Confirm that in the minds of your people here and move them to pray. Move them to pray confidently, to come to you knowing you receive them, knowing you want to talk to them, knowing that you want to use them. Give them great confidence that when you say no, that's a good thing, but that you will say yes to every single thing that they ask for that's right. And so they will be used. Give them a firm conviction of that and and an eagerness and a desire to take that up and run with it. Lord, where some of this stretches some of our categories, we are accustomed to talking about what you do and maybe downplaying what we do. Where this runs contrary to some of us, Lord, settle that in our minds Give us rest. Point out what's right. Move us and change us. Make us more than than just a word-centric people. Make us a prayer-centric people also. That you would be honored as your power is unleashed and your will is enacted. That you would gain glory. your kingdom would come and that your name would be hallowed. That's our hope and our prayer. Lord, continue to meet with people now. I'm not going to say amen here. I'm just going to let people sit and pray. Continue to meet with them. And if you need to speak words of encouragement, consolation, conviction, whatever it is you need to speak to these ones, Lord, please do that. We look to you and we hope in you. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.